Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to another episode of Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 418, recorded on Christmas Eve. Yes, it is the 24th of December 2021, and the time right now is 1911.02. I'm back after a minor sickness and a new break. Listen to pod 417 for further details. I will, however, try to enjoy Christmas, despite how grouchy I'm sure I sounded in 417. Again, towards the night before Christmas and Roy was feeling rough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what happened yesterday. Last night I had a stomach upset. I don't really know what caused it. But I've had stomach cramps today. But doing a show is better than dwelling on discomfort, so enjoy, enjoy. By the way, I've been saying enjoy, enjoy in tweets lately. I can't be credited for that. That is something my mother says. Isn't it just the most pleasant thing to say to someone? So enjoy, enjoy. I do hope that your Christmases are going well. This is the State of the Rewatch section, so maybe I should talk a little about that. And the thing that I wanted to tell you today is that audio clips are back. Bugger copyright, because if this isn't fair use, I don't know what is. I'm not a lawyer, but I read that fair use in the UK includes reviewing something. I'm hoping the BBC can't begrudge me a few seconds of audio stitched together from each story. The clips, like the ones on the BBC's own Desert Island Disc, will be 15 seconds or less. That's less to do with copyright and more to do with the fact that no one wants to tune into a pod only to listen to a recorded TV programme. 15 seconds should give you a taster of the story. Add a little colour just before I tell you what happens. I am again recording in the Tower of Wizardry. It isn't really my choice. It is Christmas Eve, the house is a little noisy, and there is absolutely no way I can get a good recording in the studio. Hopefully this will go well. I am hand-holding a mic, which is a little different, though it is my SM58. I'm not going to use that shotgun mic indoors again. It's just too unforgiving on my not-so-radio-friendly voice. It is a lot easier than holding my old XM8500, which almost any movement at all caused a little handling noise. And so, Merry Christmas Eve, my dear fellow Whovians. Let's do the show. Today we are talking about the Doctor Who adventure, The Power of Crawl. In this story, the fourth Doctor is Tom Baker, his companions are Romana, Mary Tam, and K-9, voiced by John Leeson, who isn't voicing anything at all. 
in this particular story. The director was Norman Stewart. The writer was our old friend and prolific Doctor Who script editor and writer of 18 scripts, Robert Holmes. I did read he was initially not keen to write this script from the story guidelines he was given, but he did it anyway, and he did a bang-up job. The producer was Graham Williams, and an uncredited John Nathan Turner, who will take over as a producer in 1980, until the old series' demise in 1989. Regarding locations in September 1978, there was additional on-location filming in and around the beautiful reed beds and wetlands of the River Old at Icon Marsh in Suffolk. Broadcasting info, this is story 102 of Serial 5 of Season 16, consisting of four 22-minute episodes, first broadcast from the 23rd of December 1978 to the 13th of January 1979, following the Androids of Tara, covered in pod 414. This is a story that was broadcast over the Christmas period, so particularly appropriate for me to talk about it now. On this day, yes, I actually have something to tell you about what happened on this day, on this day of the first broadcast, the 23rd of December 1978. Here's what I found out. Jodie Marsh, British stripper, page 3 model, bodybuilder, and a celebrity famous for being famous, was born in Brentwood, Essex, in the United Kingdom. Hello, relatives from Brentwood. Not Jodie Marsh, obviously, who I never see. Which sounds a little passive-aggressive. Yes, Brentwood is a very Mauritian area. A lot of people migrated from Mauritius and went to live in Brentwood and around Essex. I think many of them worked for the National Health Service. And it was a second wave of immigration from that country, from my country, from my parents' country, rather. What else? Well, we have the horribly cringeworthy, earwormy Mull of Kintyre slash Girls School, the song, not the band, unfortunately, mashup by Paul McCartney's Wings. That was the Christmas number one in the UK. <laughs> the Americans, this time displaying far more taste than us, pushed the fantastic Le Freak by Chic, but we wanted Mull of Kintyre. Kill me. One last thing. Regarding that day of the first broadcast, it is amazing that the first episode of this story even aired on the 23rd because of a strike at the BBC that started on the 21st and ended on the 22nd at 10 at night with members of the Association of Broadcasting and Allied Staffs, ABS, which is now called 
following a merger and some organizational fiddling around with Broadcasting and Entertainment Trades Alliance. Yes, the strike ended just in time, and the union won a 15% pay rise. Union! As I promised at the top of the show, audio clips are back, so I'll play that, and then I'll tell you what happens. Audio clip rolling in 3, 2, 1. This must be one of the moons of Delta Magna. Hope you enjoyed that. Here, it is now several hours later, because things did not go as planned. There was just too much noise, and I couldn't get any quiet, not enough to record. I did try, tried all sorts of different things, no joy, but I am back now. It's 23.10.19, so if you're confused about the start and end time of this podcast, that is why. It is still, however, Christmas Eve. Let us, as usual, just go through what happens in brief, and then I'll tell you what I thought. We open with the Doctor and Romana, minus K9 this time stepping out of the TARDIS and onto the marshy third moon of Delta Magna. They are searching for the fifth and penultimate segment of the key to time. The third moon of Delta Magna is a colony world populated by the primitive green-skinned swampies and newly arrived human colonists, the Dryfeet. There is a conflict between the two groups because of a plan to build methane power plants in the swamps, which will anger the Swampy's god, a giant squid they call Kroll. In the swamp, there is an experimental methane refinery, which is the centre of operations for the human colony technicians. During the adventure, there's the obligatory running about, getting captured and escaping by the Doctor and Romana, but there is at least a memorable escape scene in which the Doctor, who is tied up with Romana and a third character, an arms dealer, sings a high note to shatter a glass skylight. This enables the trio to free themselves from a creative execution device combining a rack with tendrils from a plant that shrinks when heated by the sun. Towards the end, and under attack from Kroll, all sides, that is, the humans, the swampies, and the Doctor and Romana, take refuge in the experimental refinery. The Doctor, playing out a hunch, points the key 
to Time Tracer, that wand that we've seen before at Kroll, making it vanish in a great cacophony of sound and light, and in its place at the end of the wand is the fifth crystalline segment of the key to time. The Doctor deduced that Kroll, an ordinary giant squid, had reached behemothic proportions by ingesting the segment. The Doctor and Romana leave the group of survivors, a bemused human technician, and the Swampies, and trudge through the swamp on their way back to the TARDIS. When they get to the TARDIS, we hear the Doctor saying, Get back, canine, get back. That's a brief rundown of what happens. Let me tell you what I thought. For a start, no canine at all. Alas, poor little doggy canine. Though I am glad I didn't have to listen to his ingratiating voice this week. I read somewhere that the reason for K9's absence in this adventure is that the K9 prop would have almost no chance moving at all in the swampy location. Next, the crawl chant and dance and drum riff that we hear when the swampy warriors are summoning crawl is extremely catchy, and I found myself chanting along to it. That piece of music was by incidental music composer, I'm guessing Dudley Simpson. I could find no one else on the credits. The scenes of death and peril are numerous and creative. The sacrifice of Romana to Kroll is very King Kong-like. The way the tribal people tie the pretty woman and then summon their god. I also thought that the tendril-powered rack execution device was fiendishly nasty and clever. Kroll, the oversized giant squid, grabs and chomps its victims with abandon throughout. The arms dealer, who we briefly meet, gets sucked down by the swamp. There is an actual shooting in the back. At one stage, the primitives face being wiped out by an orbital weapon. Yes, this is proper Doctor Who. There are a million ways to die. In quite unpleasant ways as well. The tribals, the swampies, are poorly equipped, hence the need for arms supplied by an organisation called the Sons of Earth, an unseen organisation that's just mentioned. I saw the Doctor at one point pick up a Polynesian style or possibly East African war club. The point being they don't have modern projectile weapons or energy weapons or whatever is in use at the colony. There is a memorable performance by Neil McCarthy as 
a genocidal colonial named Thorn. Neil McCarthy was a physically huge and prolific actor who you'll remember from many films in the 60s and 70s. He is just everywhere. One example of one of his much later and last roles was that of the villain Calibos in Clash of the Titans from 1981, under a hell of a lot of makeup. Neil McCarthy's memorable performance contrasted with the largely unmemorable thanks to the script rather than the actor, and short-lived crooked arms dealer played by Glyn Owen. That is, the guy who gets sucked into the swamp. In the last pod, pod 416, we talked about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which also features Cthulhu-esque-like beasts. It must be that type of week, or that type of couple of weeks, (laughs) The creature design for the beast was very effective. The actual prop scaled up by camera trickery, assuming they did not actually build a 140-foot monster, was satisfactorily squidgy, green in lots of different shades, organic, huge, and armed with large, powerful tentacles with which to draw struggling prey into its gaping, gnashing maw. Maybe it stuck in my mind because I have recently seen Dune with its giant sandworms, who also have very large mouths with which to consume huge things. Watercraft. There are hovercraft used by the humans and canoes used by the primitives, As well as the Doctor and Romana, there is a scene in which we see the tribals chasing the Doctor and Romana who are in a canoe. So the tribals are nearest the camera, then you see the Doctor and Romana a bit further away in that canoe. And in the distance, you'll see the massive form of Kroll. If you have access to the show notes for this episode, you'll see a screenshot of that. Hovercraft, always cool to look at, and they're always futuristic looking, no matter how old a TV show or a film featuring Hovercraft is, they always look incredibly futuristic and fast. Very impressive. And Hovercraft have featured in Doctor Who quite often. In this story, the Doctor is even more deliberately annoying as he often is with authority, when he is arrested by the human technicians and says to them, Will there be strawberry jam for tea? I enjoy the doctor's mouthiness, and I am absolutely sure his dialogue has affected my own over the years, the other being Avon, and has occasionally got me into trouble. In this story, the Doctor says he's nearly 760. Ah, there was a story not that long ago when the Doctor mentions his age. I can't remember how old he was in that story. 
Hey, it's interesting. He's 760 in the power of Kroll. With a conflict between colonials and more primitive tribal people, colonialism and exploitation is a theme. It is, of course, a recurrent theme in Doctor Who, and one that always reminds me of the Blake 7 episode Horizon from 1979, which we will talk about just as soon as this jaunt through retro hell is finally finished, or finally finishes me. Only joking, I love Doctor Who, but it is a bit of a trial, and today, oh, trying to get quiet time to record this, it was a trial. Okay, let's get back to this and stop moaning. Yeah, we were talking about how colonialism and exploitation and imperialism and rampant capitalism and environmental issues and a whole lot of stuff is part of Doctor Who and that is something I love about Doctor Who. What annoys me is how some sections of the fandom think that New Who is too socially conscious. Compared to what? Both old Who and New Who have always been socially conscious sci-fi horror dramas, as well as the unfortunate stream of keyboard warfare from whiny complaining fans every time Doctor Who gets political, though it's hard to believe that anyone too right-wing would be a fan in the first place, there have been academic papers, essays and articles written on the subject of how political Doctor Who is and has always been. Those are my brief thoughts on The Power of Kroll. Let's move on to some trivia. Boy, we've got quite a bit this week. I read that Robert Holmes was commissioned to write the story with the biggest creature ever featured in a Doctor Who story. The Kroll is fictionally 140 feet in height, more than a mile wide, and has in excess of 30 massive long whipping tentacles. That's what I've read. Now I'm thinking back to what I actually saw. 140 feet high and yet more than a mile wide. It didn't look like that. Something wrong with those proportions. I can't remember how many exact number of tentacles there were. I don't remember 30. Well, anyway, it was big, and it had lots of tentacles, and it was fairly menacing. Occasionally, we mention one of the Radio Times reviews, very occasionally. Mark Braxton, a reviewer bitchier than me, if you can actually believe that, says in his Radio Times review for the story, a soggy off day for writer Robert Holmes. I'd have to disagree with that. I thought it was a fine day for Robert Holmes. I know he wrote this under some duress. He wasn't too keen on doing it. But he did a fine job. Next, BBC's The Fourth Dimension 
postulates that in recognition of the marsh filming location, the Doctor wore three duck brooches on his coat. This was a miniature copy of the ubiquitous three flying ducks decorating UK sitting rooms in the 1960s and 70s, and more latterly because it's now become something of retro chic. For your benefit, and because I am insane, I went down the rabbit hole of kitsch. You can thank me later. I found a New Zealand site with a full rundown. Why these Antipodeans are interested in Brit kitsch, I have no idea. Who the hell knows? Anyway, on to the article. In the article titled... Know Your Kitsch, Three Flying Ducks. Moata Tamara writes that in 1938, the Bezik factory in Stoke-on-Trent, I'm guessing it's Bezik, it's spelt Bezwick, and English names can be tricky, but I'll say Bezik. Which reminds me of my encounter with... Warwick Davis. I was so nervous when I met him, I said Warwick, and I know full well that it is Warwick, but man, the guy had to correct me. Warwick, good luck with the reboot of Willow. Break a leg. Where were we? Yeah, I was moaning about celebrities. Let's go back to where I was. Where was I? Um, hmm. Yeah, the Berzik factory... From 1938, in Stoke-on-Trent, started making wall-mounted mallards in five sizes, as well as swans, kingfishers, swallows, and a variety of other birds. Because these decorative objects were affordable, they became a popular buy for the city-bound with aspirations of country squireship. You know the type. The imagery was so ingrained in British culture as objects of aspiration that they were famously a feature of Coronation Street's Hilda Ogden's wallpaper. If you're not in the UK, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. If you are in the UK, you might still not know who I'm referring to, especially if you're young. Hilda Ogden was the woman in Coronation Street with the semi-permanent curlers, like Andy Capp's flow. The Bezik factory stopped making these ducks, these mallards, in 1973, and due to our obsession with math crap, the originals are alarmingly expensive, but knockoffs abound. The Bezik brand still exists, but bizarrely no longer offers ducks. Why don't they do that? I have no idea. Embarrassment, maybe. They should, though, because it would be a money spinner. Finally, I said in the production notes section that the area for the on-location filming was in a beautiful wetland area. It certainly is, and you can see that from the scenes in the swamp. Well, the whole thing's in the swamp, mostly. Apart from the few bits in the refinery which presumably are filmed in a 
BBC studio in Shepherd's Bush. It was so impressive and interesting looking that it does make me want to visit the place sometime in the future. The waters look easy enough to navigate in a canoe, as the Doctor and Romana do, though I'm not keen on meeting Kroll. And that is it. Those were my thoughts on The Power of Kroll from 1978 to early 1979. I don't have much more to add. I'm just relieved that I finally managed to record this pod. I think this is part of the reason it's so stressful podcasting now, because it's not as casual as it was, and I feel that I need to do these, and when I can't do it, it gets a bit frustrating. Ah, I don't know. Anyway, we're in the after show section now, so it is the correct time for moaning. I'm probably going to stop recording in a moment, so I'll just say that if you want to hear me talk about the recent season 13 of Doctor Who, titled Doctor Who Flux, listen to pod 416. The one season arc is coincidentally only the second time that an adventure has lasted the entire single season. The only other time that happened was in Old Who and in the current season that we are covering, where the Doctor searches for segments of the key to time. A little bit of synchronicity at work. That is it for now. The show that you just listened to is made by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Please, though, try and make an effort to review this on Apple Podcasts. That is almost guaranteed to help me reach new listeners. So please do that. It costs nothing, and it does help the show. You can also recommend Crash to a friend or an enemy, or you can click on the contact or support link on the website, or you can contact me on Twitter, where I am at Roy Matur. Do you remember how to spell Matur? M-A-T-H-U-R. Thanks for tuning in. Whenever you do tune in, It is Christmas Eve for me. I hope that Christmas Day will be a bit less stressful for me. And I hope your Christmases are going quite nicely, especially to my fellow Whovians. You can hear that. Yeah, my voice is cracking up now, so it's about time I ended this. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast. This was episode 418, recorded on Friday the 24th of December 2021, with a hilariously odd ending time, several hours after I started, of 234044. I'm now going to 
collapse on the sofa with a glass of ginger ale. I might even munch a cookie and wait for Father Christmas. Thanks for listening and bye-bye for now. Bye.